0: Well, this morning we're continuing on in our sermon series, and I would ask that you take out your sermon notes, and we can start filling those in. Those will be up on the screen, and we will work through those. But I also encourage you to let the Spirit talk to you. Let the Word of God talk to you. Let's watch a a quick video um, by someone who has walked the walk and sees the power of God working. Listen carefully. (laughs) Hehehehe. <laughs> So, the topic today is discipleship. We are in our Essentials series. Essentials for what? The Essentials for the Christian faith. What does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ and how do we live that out? And if we have those things, it's like your car. That when the gas gauge starts going down and the computer starts telling you, uh, hey, idiot, go to the gas station and put some gas in me, you pay attention, right? Because you're motivated. Because you're motivated. And so, those are the essentials. That in order for your car to move, you got to have the gas in it. Right? So, in the same way, with the Christian faith, what are those essential things that we need to be doing, that we need to be about, in order that we might thrive, in order that we might truly be walking and abiding in Christ? So today we talk about discipleship. It is our theme. I have it up behind me. It's on your bulletins. It's on our website. It's all around us. seems to me like I've told us to go clean our room a lot. Because the question is this morning, and let's start on the front side, have I discipled anybody this year? Or is this just a bunch of words? Because the church is really good at putting up slogans. But the reason that I brought in another pastor this morning is because Francis brings up some very good points. And it, I'm going to let him give you the hardcore stuff because I'm too much of a wimp. I want you to like me. When it comes to me, we'll, we'll just keep it on the wall, okay? We'll let the other guy come in and, and give you the tough stuff. So this morning, we're looking at discipleship. I want to run some words by you. We're talking about the conviction for replication. To replicate fits in with this idea of 2 Timothy 1.13. This is going to be our primary passage, verses 13 and 14 today. But I want you to think about this word replicate. We see a lot of light bulbs around here. And uh, we may even continue with this because it seems to be resonating a little bit. And the idea behind this picture, you've been looking at it for the better part of, of eight and a half months now, is that we've got one bulb lit. Some of you say, I get that. I've been in a room where there's been one bulb lit, metaphorically, and it's usually me. Nobody got that, right? No? Okay. Maybe I'm the only bulb lit on that joke right now. The idea is this, is that that light represents the light of Christ. And that we would then, being very similar, that the light's the lights to the left would go on. That they would replicate the One that's lit, that has energy, that is productive, that gets it. And we transfer that metaphor into a spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. That this is a metaphor, this is a picture for us as a church of what it means to do discipleship. There's an interesting quote that I'm going to share with you later at the end of the sermon. That's really going to help. At least it helped me articulate the difference between a Christian and a disciple. Did you know that there's a difference? There's a vast difference between a Christian and a disciple. And so this morning, I want you to understand that when we started out, we had five bulbs over on this side, and none of them were lit. For four months, none of them were lit. And then the light went on for a man named Paul, not the apostle, we don't know him personally. But Paul was in our lives for just a short period of time. If you were here for Easter, you heard Paul's testimony. Tremendous. But Paul, the Lord has moved up to Sacramento and, and we continue to pray for him and, and know that he's, he's in a good church there. But we had our moment and we saw that light go on for Paul. There's kids from our lifetime program that those lights represent. There are others that we just heard about through... Um, A ministry that we do here called Options for Women, where one of ours, Trish, helped turn the light on for someone who was desperately hurting. And now we have at least two more to go. And we have, by my count, three months. My hope is that we have to hang more lights. I believe we will. This is the picture of discipleship. If we're doing it right. And so we're going to look at all that uh, that represents this morning. Let me give you a quick picture. I want you to, I'm going to explain this a little bit later, but I want you to look behind that young lady's head and you see my laptop. This was a few weeks ago and I was blessed to uh, go out to Catalina, Catalina Island and to repose for a bit of time and spend some private time with the Lord And so I had a little bit of a layover in Avalon, it was very hard, it was arduous. Um, And I'm sitting there in Avalon and I've got some friends that are there that I had connection with throughout the years because of this camp that I used to speak at. But I thought I'm only going to be there for a little bit of time, I don't want people to go out of their way, so Lord, if you want to intersect us, you just do it. I was sitting behind that computer with my face facing out to that window and that young lady slammed her face up against the window and made me lose my coffee. Let's just put it that way. God bless Amanda. And, you know, sometimes it's just nice to know that you were remembered. I haven't seen them for three years. She's walking by and she sees me in a window at a cafe. And then we spent two and a half hours sharing what God's doing in their life. We'll get back to that in a moment. This morning as we continue on, I want to share this quote with you by Oswald Chambers. He says this about discipleship. Discipleship and salvation are two different things. A disciple is one who, realizing the meaning of the atonement, deliberately gives himself up to Jesus Christ in unspeakable gratitude. Wow, that is a pithy and deep statement, isn't it? Hopefully by the end of, our sermon today, we're going to understand a little bit more about that. Let me read for you a passage of Scripture before we get into the main text. It's 1 Corinthians 4.20. I encourage you, write this in your sermon notes, because it's not there. It's something that the Lord gave to me this morning. But it was a a ministry and life verse for for me for many years. And so maybe that's why I feel compelled to share it to you. Think about this in context to where we started with Francis Chan's words. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And I realized in a a quick study, a quick word study, I'm going to move this forward just a little bit so I feel more close to you. There we go. How many times the word power is listed in the book of 1 Corinthians? There's a reason that the early church thrived and it multiplied. They made disciples. And they didn't do it in their own power. They did it in the power of Christ. So let's look and examine this morning and see what that looks like. This morning our main text is 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. One, 13 through 14 It's on the screen, but you can turn in your Scriptures if you would like. And if there's anyone who would like a Bible this morning, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Our, uh, our ushers in the back will bring one to you. Paul is writing to his disciple, Timothy. And I encourage you to look at the entire passage of uh, chapter 1, and, and you'll see a little bit more of the context there. But for the sake of our focus this morning, we're simply going to focus on 13 and 14 and then we'll have some surrounding verses later on. Paul says this, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from Me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul is saying, Timothy Follow what you have seen and heard in Me. The sound words. What does he mean by the sound words? He he means this. He means the Gospel. He means the instruction by the Lord. And he says, follow that. Follow what you are hearing from Me, but in essence, not just from Me, but from our Fatherly Master in Heaven. And he reminds him that that message is in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, always pointing to Christ. When we seek to make disciples, when we focus on discipleship, the way that we make this happen, not in our power, but in his power, is to, to talk about him. Now, remember what 1 Corinthians 4 says same writer, same author, right? He says the kingdom of, of God is not in words, but it is in power. So, this is the transformational thing that Francis Chan's talking about is that we spend time gathering, and you know my affinity for. For ripping off the Greek and Hebrew to all of you guys. Pretty soon, I think it's so effective, I might branch into Aramaic, okay, or Syriac, or, you know, who knows? Well, I have my own language, and you guys know that too, so. We gather a lot of knowledge. But I think of those words that Francis hit me with. You see, there's a day coming where I'll stand before my Father to say thank you for all that He has done and He will open up my inheritance to me. I look forward to my little group. Right? My disciples that Christ gave to me. And you think about the replication of that. In the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus says to His Father in His agony, He says, You gave them to Me. I have not lost one except the son of perdition. I look forward. And you all are there, okay? You all are in My little posse up in heaven. We're going to be gathered there together. Oh yes, there's an inheritance. There's all that stuff. But what I so desperately don't want to experience is accepting that inheritance and nobody there to share it. It haunts me. And this is essential today. That we as a church stop gathering knowledge. And we start operating in the power Of Scripture. Now let me tell you how entrenched we are with that. Because some of you instantly in your mind said, Pastor, we have to be in the Word of God. I certainly hope that you aren't telling us not to be in the Word of God. I certainly hope that you're hearing what Francis is saying. We have no problem with that. You will always hear from us. It's it's our core values up here. That we are equipping the saints through the Word of God. But if we want to experience the power that we're hearing from Paul, then let's gather today 5.30 here for our prayer meeting because nothing according to Christ happens within the kingdom without prayer. Nothing. We want to see the power of Christ come and make disciples. We want to see us get over ourselves and the inadequacies that we have and the failures. We say, that I can't do this. But we want to say just prayerfully, Lord, create the opportunity. Let me share with you just the most blessed thing, one of the most blessed things I've heard in the past two weeks. I am so energized. I am so inspired with what God is doing through you. But there is a couple who would never want me to say their names. And so Roger and Linda Bensing will be sure not to be mentioned in this story. But they're out to dinner or lunch, whatever it was, and they can clarify this story because often I get them wrong, but... Their waitress came over and sat down next to them. I guess she was at the end of her shift. She basically said to them, there's something different about you. I'm desperate to know what that is. And here they are reaching out to create a disciple who's desperate for life and see that light go on. And that encounter didn't finish. Probably wasn't on their radar to witness to their... Maybe it was, I don't know. Probably wasn't on their radar, but remember, I can guarantee you that they're praying that God uses them. You see, that encounter, that appointment, that godly divine appointment happened because of prayer. It happened because of prayer. This morning as we look at this idea, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit. There's your power. It's in the Word and it's in the Holy Spirit. If we're going to make disciples, it has to come through those things. So let's look at what the challenge is for us today for the challenge for me as well. Let's get into it. Number one, replication. Remember the title of today's sermon is Conviction for Replication. We're going to start with the end and then we're going to go to the first part. A disciple is one who reflects the quality and influence of the Master. Right? A disciple is one who reflects the quality and influence of the Master. So let's break that out a little bit. A disciple responds. When challenged for godly purpose, a disciple responds. So let's look at two things here under this idea of responding. Well, we've heard how Jesus got this band of merry men together, right? He continually encountered them and He just said, follow Me, follow Me. Now they were in the middle of doing things. But He said, follow Me. Drop what you're doing. Sacrifice. Deny yourself. Follow Me. Christ says that if you're not willing to deny yourself unless you're willing to take up your cross, you might be able to make the cut. You might make the JV team. You might. Did He say any of that? No, His words are, you cannot be My disciple. This is one of the areas we have a problem with in America today. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Gary. That one came all the way from Hoboken. This is the problem we have in America today. We are seduced away by our time. We are seduced away by all of these things that we have to do. Satan knows exactly how to get us eliminated and distracted. My job won't allow me to do discipleship. My family won't allow me to do discipleship. My knowledge won't allow me to do discipleship. It is amazing God's promises and how they play through to be true. He chooses the weak to what? Humble the strong. You see, the weaker we are, the more we're usable and pliable and effective for Him. If two people can just sit and have a conversation in a diner, and the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is in them so much so that, without really saying anything specifically that I'm aware of so far, that their waitress just comes and sits with them at the end of the uh, end of the sermon, (laughs) at the end of their meal or the end of her shift, and says, "There's something different about you." Boy, does that line up with Matthew 5.16. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and in turn they glorify your Father who is in heaven. A disciple responds. So when he says, follow me, what does that look like? Well, let's look at the interaction between Timothy and Paul, All right, Since this is our primary example, let's look at this discipleship relationship. So Acts 16:1, this is where we see some of the initial connection with Timothy by Paul. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Go a little bit further in the chronology, the timeline. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Isn't this interesting? Now he's able to go into where? Into Macedonia, but Paul has to be over here in in Asia. So now he's able to multiply the message because Timothy has moved from just being a simple disciple to a follower. And he's part of the team and now he's part of the ministry and he's being invested in. And Paul trusts him, take this message. Go minister to these people in this way. Then what happens? Look in Philippians 2, 21-22. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. There's growth within the disciple. It's measurable. Even to the point where the Master turns and says, look at the individual I'm sending to you. Watch him. This is the goal of discipleship. That we're able to release that person we have invested in and they in turn are able to turn and minister to others so that the Master might say, have you considered my servant? Lastly, we get into 1 Timothy, one of these messages that Paul gives to Timothy at the end of his ministry, Paul's end of his ministry. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. And he goes on to give Timothy instruction in how to carry on the ministry. Because now it will be Timothy's. There's a passing of a torch. This is a picture of discipleship. Secondly, under the idea that a disciple responds, they deny themselves for a deeper calling. Turn to Matthew 16, if you will. And we'll look at this briefly. Jesus says that if you want to be a disciple of His, you have to deny yourself. This is, I think, most difficult here in the United States or a Western culture. Because we become so busied. And and not with horrible things, folks. It's just a complicated life, isn't it? It's a very complicated life. But this is what Jesus knew. And so he says, "You have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to deny yourself." So chapter 16, and we're verse 24. And Jesus' words say this. And he's just had this encounter with Satan, I'm sorry, with, with Peter, and he's trying to encourage Peter to have a, a, a macro view of things a macro view of salvation, and then he transitions. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Again, this idea that we will stand before our Father And we can do some great studies. We can do some great understanding. And we can tell Jesus, like Francis said, all about what we've learned about Him. And by the way, that's a good thing. I'm just not preaching on that. I preached on that like three weeks ago. So take the totality of it. But my goodness, I want to be able to offer to Him tangible results. And say, through Your power, this is what I have to offer to you. And that's not just for pastors, my friends. That's for everyone who names Jesus as Lord and Savior. The clock is ticking. John 13, 6 through 9 is, is basically another passage that says the same thing. So, again, under this idea of replication, a disciple doesn't just respond, they reflect. When put into a lineup, the disciple shines like Christ. Have you ever considered yourself in a lineup? Some of you are like, how did you know? (laughs) I don't know. But you are in a lineup every day. And just like the story I told you of Roger and Linda, they stuck out. Over all of her other customers, they stuck out. You are in a lineup every day. And hopefully you're the one that's identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ who's living in the power of sound words and the power of the holy spirit that compels people to say that person that person i want to know what's going on there i want to investigate what's going on there so number 1 who do we reflect we we reflect our heavenly master so 1 john 2 3 through 6 it says this is one of my favorite passages It helps take away the ambiguity of what one of our goals is, is disciples of Jesus Christ. And John says this, he says, And by this we may know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. So that's that's that part where I'm sharing with you that we kind of have to know what it is that this thing is called faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to grow in that knowledge. We've got to know what His commandments are, right? So we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but we're being specific to one aspect of the essentials this morning. Now listen, here's the second part. He says, starting in verse 4, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Wait for it. Here we go. But whoever keeps His Word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way He walked. Jesus Christ came for the lost. He came to serve. He came to His disciples on the night that they broke bread. And He started to wash their feet. And many of us in this room know how the rock of the church, Peter, rebuked his Lord and said, no, 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 no. no! You're not washing My feet. And Jesus says, unless you get this point, Peter, you are going to be completely ineffective. I came as a servant. I am denying every right I have. I came to serve you with love and humility. Peter's response was, not just my feet, but all of me. This is the power that we're talking about to change people into disciples. And we'll get to that in a second. 1 Corinthians 4.17, I've already read to you um, part of that as well. So we, we look at this earthly, or this heavenly Master, which is our Father in, in Jesus Christ. So we're to reflect that. But secondly, uh, we're supposed to reflect our earthly coach. And this goes back to the passage that we've already been looking at this morning out of Second Timothy. These words that Paul gives to his disciple. And he says this, follow, right? Using the same word, the same emphasis that Jesus used. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. These earthly coaches are ones that will send us in good direction, profitable direction, powerful, life-changing direction. Sometimes we get confused with this. And all we want to do is reflect our earthly coaches. Remember, there's two people here we're supposed to reflect. The first one is the Father. But often, and this is why I suspect Christ made it this way and set this pattern of discipleship as an essential to the faith, is that as we learn and as we grow, we are that light to the world. Amen? And being that light, sometimes people need, sometimes all of us need, to hear about the Heavenly Father through an earthly coach. That's why we have people right now sharing Christ as earthly coaches to your children, to our teens, and right now, to you. We need earthly coaches. I encourage you, find one if you need one. And find one that will push you. If you truly want to grow in the faith, find an earthly coach that will push you. So let's get to conviction. And this idea of conviction is one that says this, a disciple is one who is daily drawn to devoted discipline. Daily drawn to devoted discipline. A disciple is drawn to be better. It was interesting, without people knowing this, <laughs> this was funny, I got, I got a couple compliments today um, that, that I look a little different. Maybe I shaved. Maybe I actually bathed. I don't know what it is. Per se, but let's do a little examination. So, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily all that healthy. I don't know that I still am. But we had a little interesting encounter at my house last night. I've been focusing on how I eat. And so there have been some certain results to that that I'll show you in just a moment. And I got on the scale this morning. I get on the scale every morning, which you're not supposed to do. But I love goals. And I love to see a change. Anybody like that? Like if you're dieting, you're on that scale. Why do we need to make a big parade out of what God's doing? Folks, this is our scale. This is our measurable scale. And I get it. You know, sometimes we don't want to talk about numbers. We look at numbers as a bad thing. You know, I think only in the church do we look at numbers as a bad thing. I don't look at numbers as a bad thing. I get excited. I get really excited. And by the way, you do too. I've actually heard people who try to, you know, try to parse the numbers thing. But when they pull in here and they see that the parking lot's full and they can't get in, they have to park on the street, there's a glint in their eye when they tell me about it. They're really excited about it. You see that scale, when I get on that scale and I see that I've dropped like a, a 8 ounces or a pound and a half. I get real excited. And Janine's always laying in the bed and she goes, what is it? And she can always tell by my expression. This morning the expression did not go well. My son came home yesterday. God blessed us and, and sold his, his car for him. And I tempted him. I said, hey man, I'll give you $800 if you drive home and watch the Warrior game with us. He's like, okay, Done. Yeah, you don't have to convince me. So he drives home. We watch the Warrior game. Surprised Janine. She comes running out of the house. She's crying. She heard the car pull up. It was just this beautiful moment. I'm working on the expedition out there. It's like this like Amco commercial, right? You know, I'm working. I'm all greasy and the son drives up from college bringing his laundry home. You know, it was just this beautiful thing. And I had ordered that beautiful sanctified food that just really appeals to your waistline called Pizza. So I get on and I have my expression this morning is I have gained two pounds and I'm like, what happened? And instead of getting all that excitement and sympathy from the bed, I get, babe, let's review what you had yesterday. (laughs) First of all, you started with a Krispy Kreme donut around 9 a.m. My response, my spiritual response to that was it was only one And then I ate a healthy lunch. And then all of a sudden, this was my response. Oh yeah, I had pizza. Hmm. You know, here's the thing. A disciple is one who is daily drawn to devoted discipline. And when you're daily devoted to discipline, you see results. I went to my closet. And some of you have seen me wear this hideous jacket in the past. I spent a lot of money on this jacket, thinking which was like thirty-two dollars and eighty-three cents for me. Um, I put this jacket as like, "Hey, man! Really stylish guys wear wear colorful jackets that nobody else will wear." So I'm going to wear one of these, right? And I put it on, and and my wife is like this right now. <laughs> She's completely like this, and uh, and my wife just suffered through it. She hates this jacket. She thinks it's the ugliest jacket ever. And I thought I was being stylish and, you know, really, you know, cool wearing this jacket. And so I'm looking at it and it stands out, right? It's mustard. You know, if you have a baby, you never want to see this color jacket, (laughs) right? You don't want to see this color jacket. So it's standing out in my closet because everything else is kind of dark. And I'm like, man, I haven't worn that thing in forever. I don't know. So I put it on this week. So here we go. Remember, a disciple is one who's devoted, drawn to devotion, to discipline, and we want to see change. So, here's this jacket. (laughs) That was pretty good. You hear all that? That (laughs) no, 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 no. No, we don't clap for that. That's ridiculous. Okay? Just get over it. But if this, if I could go through starving myself, just so you get the point, that change 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 you getting it that's what you clap over that's what we've changed so far this year amen okay i'm gonna keep wearing this (laughs) no take it off she says she says take it off okay uh this one's free it's over here on the ground for whoever would like it Change comes as a result of discipline. Are we willing to commit to those things? We've given you a formula for that change. Let me finish by giving you some specific things. By the way, Paul gives Timothy some specifics here. A disciple is drawn to be better. By his own power? No. Remember, we we acknowledge that. This is hard stuff. It's intimidating stuff. But if Roger and Linda can sit in a restaurant and just be Roger and Linda, and someone recognize that and say there's something different, light shining, light shining, right? I want to know what you've got. I want to see something. I want to be impressed with it. So Roger and Linda bring out their smoke machines, they bring out their Hillsong uh, uh, church worship team. They bring out their Navigator series. They bring out, you know, Francis Chan. Um, Roger's got some tattoos all over him that he said, "Okay, this is going to be really effective for ministering to that next generation." And and Linda's got like the Message. She's out of the KJV. She's using the Message now. Not going to happen. Um, by the way, I don't even know if they use KJV. But anyway, no, they didn't do any of that. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. If Roger and Linda can do this, and this is no slight on them, they are incredible people. Every single one of us can do this. But we have to be devoted to the discipline of being a disciple. Amen? So this happens as a result of the Spirit. And the Spirit doesn't allow us to have fear but the Spirit gives us what? Three things, Paul says. Power, love, and self-control. Wow. I love a Trisacta. Just a beautiful picture. So, under this idea of conviction, a disciple is destined to change. Through the influence of the Spirit, the disciple does what? Changes a spark into a flame. Look at that 2 Timothy passage again. Actually, I'll turn to it here. Because earlier... Paul reminds Timothy because Timothy had gotten a little discouraged. He's in a big, big church in Ephesus, one of the biggest churches of the first century and second century, and he had gotten discouraged by people. This is that famous passage: "Don't let anybody look down on your youth." Right? And so, uh, look at two, one, chapter one, verse six. Actually, this should be one. Um, is Second Timothy one six? Okay. I'm getting there. I'm half blind with these lights. Yes, so for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You see, you as a believer have that divine spark in you. You have the Holy Spirit. But Paul's saying, you know what? You need to kind of fan it into flame. Watching us light a fire in our fireplace is hysterical. There's usually three people in a prone position, turning blue, blowing air onto this fire that barely will ever light. But there's a beautiful picture of us working that hard on our spiritual discipline that we might be effective with what? Power, love, and self-control. It changes their perspective on suffering. Are we ready to change our perspective on suffering? You know, the thing I love about Francis is I've watched him through his ministry and, um, you know, he went the whole route of, of becoming — he's a very gifted speaker, and he went the route of becoming uh, very well known through speaking at camps and then and conferences. and he started a Bible college in Simi Valley where you didn't have to pay any money to go to it. He got some of the best professors in the world to go and do those um, classes. Um, he started a church in Simi Valley that sprouted to thousands pretty quickly. Now that's just what God had for that individual, but the reality is, he gave all that up. He gave all that up. Do you know where Francis is currently ministering? In the most difficult city in the entire world to plant a church. That city is San Francisco. He walked away from being the founder and president of a Bible college that was successful, a Thousands and thousands of of people at the expense of his family and church and they moved into the inner city and left all their friends. Well, it's not that bad. They didn't leave their friends, but they left the comforts of their home and their ministry. We will accomplish nothing unless we're ready to sacrifice and suffer. The whole idea here is that we change others. Matthew 5:16: that we change others. This morning, in closing, I told you that I would challenge you. Number one, are you ready to be a disciple? Well, you need to follow. You can't serve two masters. You need to reflect your master. This is not in your notes. This is just some closing thoughts. You need to reflect your master, Jesus and your coaches. You need to change. You need to change yourself and, and others. And then here's the conviction part, right? You need to desire greater things and you will see greater things. You need to desire greater things and you will see greater things. Let me share where I was going with this. By the way, here's an interesting quote. It's not our responsibility to make people Christians. We get that, right? A lot of us that that have been doing this for a long time and have been walking with the Lord We understand that it's got to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what this person's talking about. Listen carefully. It's not our responsibility to make people Christians and get them baptized into a particular denomination, but rather to help people decide to follow Jesus and His radical message. Maybe this is why the New Testament writers only use Christian three times. But disciple... On 269 occasions, there's a difference. This couple met at the camp that I used to speak at. A few years ago, I think it was 2004 that this happened, I told the staff and all of the counselors and all the youth pastors that we were going to do something a little bit different that night. What we were going to do is we were going to have everybody get chairs in a circle and we were going to ask four students to lead that service. We were going to get out of the way. We were going to pass the torch. So we didn't just throw it on the students. We talked to them early on and I wanted to hear from the youth pastors who needs this challenge. And they knew their kids. And then I told all of the counselors, all of the staff that we would be surrounding that building and just praying for those students because it was time for them to step up. It was time for them to lead. It was time for them to make a radical difference. It's time for us to shut up. They've heard from us enough. One of the most powerful times in eight or ten times of speaking out there happened and it became a routine. And that's maybe what killed it, but it became a routine. But let me tell you what happened. It wasn't eloquent. Nothing Deeply profound was stated, but there was sincerity and there was an opportunity for the next generation to step up and sacrifice. You see, those students, those four students gave up all of that free time at this beautiful lagoon with crystal blue water and kayaks and all that, and they sat in a hot room the entire afternoon praying and talking about how they would lead this time. Cost them. And they get in there and they're scared to death. And they're surrounded by every student in a circle. During that time, this young man Levi stood up. And he said, with tears in his eyes, I I don't really understand for sure what's happening, but I feel compelled to stop living the way I'm living and fully commit to Jesus Christ. And if that means he wants me to go on the mission field, then I'll go on the mission field. A year and a half later, these two met at that camp. The last year we ran out there, they were running all the games and they were engaged to be married and they were leading my son. I just ran into them. They plan on joining YWAM and going into missions and getting trained so that they can run a ministry on the interior of the island to folks that come over and want a deeper experience. And they want to set up This whole like survivor thing that's going to happen up on the top of the island where there's buffalo and wild boar and all this. And then they'll present Jesus Christ to these people when they're starving and have nothing. (laughs) How exciting it was for me to lose my coffee. And that God made that divine appointment happen to two people I pretty much thought I'd never see again this side of heaven. And then to hear, just in one moment, the ability for God to speak and inspire, not just through me, right? But four students I handed it off to and let the power of the Holy Spirit get in. And it convicted Levi. And then because of the work God was doing in Levi's life, he became attractive to Amanda. They formed a team And they are serving God radically. And then I sit in a coffee house, minding my own business, and Amanda slams her face up against that window, and I lose my coffee. I'd like to lose my coffee a lot more often. Amen? Discipleship is essential. Let me close in prayer today. As we do so, I'll remind you a couple things real quickly. Um, Life groups have started uh, and we're excited about all that's going on with that. Um, We're still working out some logistics with certain uh, places where we're going to meet and leadership and so we'll be communicating with you on that shortly. Uh, We have a big meeting coming up October 16th. Please mark it down. You want to be here for that. We're going to be unveiling some very exciting things and sharing some very exciting things with the congregation about how we as a church move forward. It is my goal that we have 200 adults in this church by the end of this year. This is not even a hard goal. We have multiple things that are coming down the line. But you, remember these words, plus one, because it's going to be revealed by our outreach team next week. You, plus one, can easily make this happen we can make disciples. Amen? Amen.